In 2015, I was in Idaho. And uh, that's a pretty cool part of the world, Idaho. And I was asked to preach in a little Lutheran church called Living Hope, and, or Living Word, Living Word Lutheran. And um, they're just the best people. And that Sunday when I preached, it was Advent. And there was a set of candles out the front, similar to this. And candle number three, the pink one, was a light. I'd never seen this arrangement of candles before. And I asked what it all meant. And I was told that they had lit candle number three because it was the third Sunday of Advent. So this is a church tradition that we never did this church tradition, but lots of churches do. So in Advent, in lots of churches around the world, they will have this arrangement of four, but sometimes five candles. And there are four Sundays in Advent. And then the fifth service is Christmas. You know, the Mass of Christ, which is the Christmas Day service. So there's this big white candle, which is for that. But then you have these other four candles. This is for week one of Advent. Week two, week three, week four, and then the fifth service, which is Christmas, or Christmas. So, here we are today, enjoying a church tradition. <laughs> Some people said, traditions, that's bad, you can't have traditions. Well, there are a lot of things we do that are traditions. Just because you do something doesn't make it, you know, regularly doesn't make it bad. Some things you do regularly might be bad, so it depends on what the thing itself is. And sometimes with traditions, with church traditions, because they're done all the time, people stop, you know, they can lose their meaning. And so they just become a meaningless thing that is done without having any meaning. But we don't have that problem. <laughs> we haven't done the thing before, so I'd like to take two minutes and explain the meaning to you at the start of Advent. So Jesus is our king, is he not? And Advent is all about the coming of the king. And the kingly colours, the royal colours are purple. Well, the royal colour is purple. So for Advent, we have purple, uh, purple candles. In, as part of my Bible videos, I've discovered that purple was such a rare colour in the ancient world, it was so hard to make because they had to dye things, and in nature, purple just doesn't appear all that often. They discovered a certain shell that lived in the water near Lebanon today called the Murex shell. You could get purple dye out of that shell. As a result, the Phoenicians became fabulously wealthy because everyone had to get their purple dye from them. And um, so this purple, it was a thing of royalty. Only kings could afford it. And so we have here purple because Jesus is our king. So, but we get to week three of Advent, and for some strange reason, it's pink. Shall I wait till week three to tell you? <laughs> no, 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 I'll tell you now. <laughs> week one of Advent is all about hope, and I'm actually going to preach about hope today. And this is called the prophecy candle, because the prophets prophesied hope, the hope that was to come into the world, Jesus Christ. So that's week one. Week two is peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. And this is called the Bethlehem candle. I won't be around next week. I'll be in Blackhall. But maybe whoever preaches next week can talk to you about peace. Week three is called is the joy candle. Now, 
There's no more joyful thing than Christmas. We sang this morning, joy to the world, the Lord has come. In liturgy, in church tradition, joy was always pink. Whenever they were celebrating, they would always have pink. Priests would come in with their pink robes instead of their white ones. So for some reason, the joy is so joyful that the pink has overwhelmed the purple just for candle number three. And the fourth candle is love, the love of God. And that's week four. And that, by the way, the the pink candle is called the shepherd's candle because the shepherds were in the fields when suddenly the sky erupted with joy. So that's the shepherd's candle. And the fourth candle is called the angel's candle. And the last one, of course, is bigger than all of them because that is the Christ candle. This is the candle that symbolizes Jesus. And it's the most wonderful of them all. Without that one, you don't have any of them. So it's a tradition. It's um, traditions on their own don't make you more spiritual. Just because we light candles in church today doesn't mean we're better than any other Christians. It doesn't mean suddenly we're more holy because we've got candles. It doesn't mean any of those things. If you think you're more holy because you've lit a candle, you are mistaken. Our righteousness comes from Jesus Christ, but we can get a lot of joy out of remembering things the Lord has done. And um, so this year, for the fun of it, I thought we should have some Christmas candles. And so we are. So as we go along each week, we will light the the different candle um, for the occasion. And may you think of the Lord each and every week of Christmas. Okay. I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. So we're talking about hope for a few minutes today. And... um, I, uh, I've heard children say things like, I hope I get a big Christmas present this year. That's not the type of hope we're talking about. <laughs> There's a type of hope where you just, you know, it's kind of like you wish for a good outcome. That's, that's a type of hope. But the type of hope we're talking about is not that type of hope. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, Paul wrote a whole chapter on the topic of love, and he finished it off with this Verse. He said, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So he didn't go on to say anything much about hope, and we all wish he did. And it's, it's one of those things which clearly is a big deal, because it's one of the three that remain, and yet what is it exactly? We'll take a few minutes to think about that. This morning, I did look it up in the Bible. It's, it's there in the NIV translation nearly 200 times. So it's a regularly discussed concept, but it appears a lot in the book of Psalms. It appears a lot in the prayers of God's people, in the songs of God's people, and it does appear in the New Testament a fair bit as well. So it's everywhere in the Bible, but it's one of those things that, for me, I, I never noticed it. Or I've not noticed it a great deal. I'm not sure about you. As you read your Bible, has it stood out to you? Maybe it has. But it's something that I can't remember ever having heard anyone preach about. So we'll make a beginning today. In 2012, there were two fishermen from Mexico. One was Jose Salvador Alvarenga. The other was Ezequiel Cordoba. 
They were caught in a storm off the west coast of Mexico. The storm disabled their boat so they could not sail. The motors were all destroyed and their communications equipment was all destroyed and they began to drift. They drifted for four months. They, what they did was they, it was a fishing boat, they caught fish, they were able to survive by eating fish, they put out buckets when it rained, they would catch water, they survived by drinking water from the rain and by catching fish. After four months, Ezekiel Cordoba lost all hope. He thought, we're never going to be rescued, we're going to die out here. He stopped eating, he lost all interest in life, and he died. But his mate, Jose Salvador, stayed on that boat for another year. After around about 460 days, Jose noticed in the distance an island. And he jumped over shore and started swimming for the island. It turned out that was the Marshall Islands, completely in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. He had drifted more than 10,000 kilometres. Um, well over a year at sea, most of that all on his own, that bloke had hope. Something inside of him kept telling him, it's going to be okay, it's going to work out, I'm, I'm going to survive. So th there was a thing inside of him which was something like hope. But the other guy lost hope he thought the situation was hopeless. So this is the type, this is something like the type of thing that we're talking about this morning. So Christian hope is, is its own thing. In fact, technically, from the Bible, I understand that hope is actually Jesus himself. When I was going through all the scriptures and I got to 1 Timothy 1.1, which is not a scripture I put up there, but Paul said that Jesus Christ is our hope. So if you've got Christ, you've got hope. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, it's hopeless. So hope is a thing which it turns out keeps you alive. Hope is a thing which it's somehow connected with faith, but it's something that says to you no matter how dark the days no matter how difficult my life is, no matter how much every day seems the same and I never, it, things never seem to change, there is hope. Well, if you've got Christ, there is hope. But there are plenty of people who have come to the place where they think life is hopeless. But those people haven't had the touch of the Lord. Now, imagine if Hosea and Ezekiel, out at sea after a few months, um, they had managed to get the radio to work and they'd, been, they'd started sending out messages and no one's listening and, but then they hear this faint crackle we, we know you're there we're going to try to find you now it wouldn't have mattered if they drifted another three, four, five, six, eight months what they've got now is hope because a message has come from somewhere they know someone's looking for them they've received communication that help is on the way. So what they've got is hope. So hope sustains you when things are not easy. And for most people who've ever lived this life, things have not been easy. For most of you here, 
today there are parts of your life that are good, but there are things that are not easy. There's not too many people in life who will admit, who, who, who can admit to say that they have an easy life. Even some of the world's most successful people will tell you that life has not been easy for them. But hope sustains you when life is not easy. It gives you something to put your eyes on. Peter, when he stepped out of the boat and the storm was all around, he had hope because his eyes were on Jesus. Lord, save me. <laughs> he knew he'd be okay because the Lord was there. He had hope. But if Jesus wasn't there, it would have been hopeless. So, I want you to imagine for a minute that you are Adam. Now, one of the great Christian traditions that's, that goes back five, six, seven hundred years is a, is a type of Christian meditation where you put yourself into a Bible story you imagine yourself as the person in the Bible story, what it would be like to be that person and go through those experiences. There's a, a guy called Ludolf of Saxony, uh, some type of an ancient some monk in the 1300s, a Carthusian. They are the strangest of all monks, the Carthusians. They go into their monasteries and you don't see them for 10 years. They don't talk to anyone. You know those jokes about, you know, you're only allowed to say two words a year? That's the Carthusians. So Ludolf of Saxony was one of these Carthusians. And he came up with this method of meditation where you put yourself into the Bible story. He obviously had plenty of time to think about ways to meditate. Put yourself into the Bible story. So what I want you to do right now is to put yourself into the position of Adam. All right? Adam, the first person, is created perfectly. He's put into a garden which is called paradise. Things are perfect. He doesn't get sick. He does not know what it's like to feel pain. God gives him a wife. She's a wonderful wife. She's perfect. They have a perfect marriage. They meet with the Lord every day. They know God. Life is idyllic. And then one day, you do the dumbest thing of all. You decide to do something for yourself, and you go against the Lord, and you ruin everything. You not only ruin your own life, and you ruin your wife's life, and you ruin all your children's life, you get kicked out of the garden, you look at your children, they now get sick, they feel pain, you now work, there's sweat coming down your brow, you argue with your wife, your one child murders another child. It's horrible. And you feel hopeless. You have ruined everything. Jewish tradition tells us that Adam was depressed. And I believe it. I have no doubt that he was depressed. Because he looks at everything that's happening and it's all his fault. But the Lord... Aren't those wonderful few words? But the Lord... He somehow manages to get a bit of communication through a crackly radio to humans. You know, all communication with God is like destroyed by sin and cut off and people can't connect with God anymore. But somehow, 
the Lord manages to get a crackle of communication through to people so that they can hear it. And in Genesis chapter 3, right at the moment that all this nastiness happened, the Lord says this. Genesis three fourteen to 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I don't know if Adam realized it, but right in that moment, the Lord was saying, I'm going to sort this out. This serpent, I'm going to crush him. And the Lord began to speak from the very first day. And not everyone could hear it, but for those who could hear it, there was hope. Just a few chapters later in the book of Genesis, Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is talking. He's saying, I'm looking after things. I'm going to bless this world. I'm going to use you to do it. And for those who had ears to hear it, there was hope. The Old Testament is actually literally full of it. I'm just giving you a few examples. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on the living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Guess where Jesus was, where he grew up? Land of Galilee, a place where a great light was to dawn. Isaiah chapter 9, a bit few verses later, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born and a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That is communication through a crackly radio to all human beings giving hope. You know, there are plenty of people whose life was just a horrible life, but they clung on to the words of the Lord and hope sustained them in an otherwise difficult life. And so that is why we have a hope candle connected with Christmas. It's not just, oh, some lovely words, hope, joy, love and peace. It actually means a great deal. Hope sustained the people of God for thousands of years until the Lord at the perfect time could get here. The Lord had to come at the right time 
Things had to be put in place, and he put them in place. So he worked away until the right time when he could come. But in the meanwhile, he gave hope. So when you think of Christmas, you think of Jesus coming, you think of hope, it's actually unbelievable what God has done. And so God is a God of hope. It's not just I hope things will get better. No, we've got God. He's at work. Even if you live your whole entire life and don't see some of the things that God talks about, we're a part of a process where he is doing the things that he said he will do. But hope, it's more than just a big picture thing. It's also very personal. And so the Lord gives hope to individual people as well. Like you and like me. Things happen in our lives which are hard. But the Lord gives us hope. You know, Joseph had those dreams in the book of Genesis, right? He had those dreams. But the next thing, he was a slave in Egypt, scrubbing floors. If he didn't have the dreams, it would have been a hopeless situation. But the dreams was the Lord giving him hope. And the Lord does it for everyone. I heard a story of a man who received a personal prophecy in church of all the things the Lord was going to do in his life. And three months later, he got stage four cancer. And he said, Lord, what about the the prophecy? You said. He's thinking about it all back to front. The Lord gave him the prophecy because the Lord knew he already had cancer. The prophecy was his hope. So when you receive a word from the Lord and you look at your life and it doesn't match, the Lord's giving you hope. You're supposed to keep your eyes on the Lord. If you take your eyes off what the Lord said and put them onto the situation, you will lose hope. You keep your eyes on the Lord because he is giving you hope. He's so kind like that. So I'd like to take you to Psalm 42, verse 1 to 5. So what happened in the nation of Israel was there was King Saul, King David, King Solomon, King Rehoboam. King Rehoboam messed things up severely, and there was a civil war, and the country split in half, and the the northern country was called Israel. The southern country was called Judah. And the temple was in the southern country, And the king of the north decided he didn't want his people going down to that temple. So he set up a fake worship system to try to keep his people there. But there were people in that northern country who loved the Lord. The bloke who wrote Psalm 42 is one of those. He says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. Here's a bloke that can't get down to the temple. He's in that northern nation, and for some reason he's not go- he can't get there. He said, my soul thirsts for the Lord. Where can I go and meet with my God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. For me, this is a living psalm. Here's a guy that couldn't get to church. For some reason, I don't, we don't know his individual story. But he put his hope in the Lord. So there will no doubt be situations in your life which are, feel like they'll never be resolved. No doubt they'll feel like impossible. Put your hope in the Lord. You will yet praise him. Even start praising him in advance for what he will do. Bring your hopeless situation to the Lord. Put your hope in him. What I would like to do now is to pray a prayer with you. Pray a prayer with everyone here together. A corporate prayer. And I'm going to give you homework this week. We've come to the most wonderful time of the year. And we, because of Jesus, we have hope. I don't know what each and every one of your individual circumstances are, but I know there are things in our lives that we can't change. Some of those things are our own fault. Some of the things we've done, life's got like Adam. You wish you could change it, but you can't. Other things are outside your control. You can't do anything about it. I have a prayer for you today. It's from Psalm chapter 25, verse 1 to 7. And my, we're going to pray this prayer together. And you're going to go, this is your homework, you're going to go and pray this prayer every day this week. And this is a prayer to set your eyes on the Lord and put your hope in him. Hope's very similar to faith. I haven't quite figured out in my mind what the exact difference is between the two. I think lots of preachers wrestle with this. But hope is something that comes from the Lord. It's something that is the Lord. It's something you place in the Lord. Somehow it's different to faith. But we will put our faith and our hope in Jesus. So what I'm going to do is we're going to get this scripture put up on the wall. We're going to pray this prayer. In fact, we'll do it not just straight away. Just give me 10 seconds. And then I'm going to get you to go and make this a part of your daily prayer life this week. Psalm 25 verses 1 to 7. You can read the whole psalm if you want, but it kind of, in verse 8, stops being a prayer, and then it goes back to being a prayer later on in the psalm. So you can pray the first and the half part of the psalm and just read through the middle, or you can pray it all, however works for you. But I certainly want you to be praying the first seven verses. But the other thing I want you to do sometime this week is I want you to go to Bible Gateway or one of those websites where you search up words and just search up the word hope and just have a read through all the different verses in the Bible that talk about hope. There'll be verses in there that jump, will jump out at you and the Lord will speak to you this week in your Bible reading. So what I want you to do now is to bring before the Lord in your heart those things that are hopeless. And let us pray right now.
Psalm 25, verses 1 to 7. Why don't you pray out loud with me? Let's all pray together. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. So that's a prayer for you this week. And you bring that before the Lord. And in the situations that you're going through, you pray this prayer. And then, like Jose, Salvador, he didn't know how long at sea he was going to be drifting for, but something kept him going. He had hope. I suspect that he was a Christian. A lot of Catholic, a lot of Mexicans are Catholic. I suspect that this guy was a real Christian. I suspect he had real faith, and he prayed, had his eyes on the Lord. <laughs> that part's not reported in the story, but people who have their eyes on the Lord, they can get through the most amazing and marvellous things. I invite the band to come, and we're going to finish with a song. But we have a wonderful saviour, Jesus Christ. The Lord didn't leave us where we were. He said to Adam right at the beginning, I'm coming. I'll sort it out. And the reason it's taking so long, it took a long time for him to get here. And from the time Jesus came, it's, it, there's a work, a process been undergoing. And the reason it's taking its time is because he's doing it properly. And when it's done properly, it won't have to be done again. And we're a part of it. And it's absolutely fantastic. Lord, I thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask you to bless your people. And Lord, I ask you to bless this Christmas period, these weeks leading up to Christmas Day. I pray that the word of God would live in our hearts, that you'd be speaking to us and infuse us with the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.